Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we're chatting with Dr. Eliza Pressman. She is a developmental psychologist and parent educator, clinical professor, you know, has founded a bunch of resources for parents the world over. And one of the ways that we came to know about her was um, through her Seedlings Group, which is a parent-to-parent community where you can go with similar age kids and learn about parenting and milestones and ways to interact and help your child grow in the best way possible, um, all led by a developmental psychologist, so science-backed information. Um, Anyway, we wanted to have her on, A, because we've been storing up our questions about, you know, the existential problems of parenting in today's world, how to get your kids, if they're coping with anxiety or they're coping with um, any kind of, you know, daily struggle that you're trying to help them as a as a nurturing parent work through. Um, and also, she's just, she's got such a wealth of information. She's such a resource for parents that I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I just feel like our conversation is going to be three hours long. <laughs> you know, we've spoken with Tova Klein last season, and um, Aliza is really in that same vein of just extremely wise and really practical. Like you're going to listen to her and you're going to have so much stuff to take home, not only try on your kids, but to try on yourself. So we're so excited for you guys to listen to this particular podcast. Um, and uh, please like, please write us afterwards and, and tell us what you think, because I think it's really going to be life-changing. Now here's Dr. Elisa Pressman. Mom Hi, my name is Aliza Pressman. I'm a developmental psychologist and a mother of two daughters. I have a um, fourth grader and a seventh grader. And I am co-founder of Seedlings Group and the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. And I have a podcast called Raising Good Humans. Guys, today we are so lucky to be chatting with Eliza. This is going to be a conversation I know is going to rock your world. Not for nothing, but whenever um, so much of so many of the topics that we're excited to uh, to have conversations around are not just toddler specific. These are useful tools to serve you and as a child throughout the rest of your life. We would all be so lucky to have had parents who paid attention to these things early on in our development. So um, whether your child is newborn, 12, 15, 35, like everyone will have things to benefit from on this. One of the things that I was, uh, that I am um, uh, so excited that you're here for is, you know, we're constantly looking for milestones and you get caught up. I think I'm always trying to figure out am I being too hyper aware of things and nervous that they're not hitting milestones or somebody says something to you about your kid and then you get worried about it how can we develop a healthy relationship with watching our children when they are absolutely so important to us and we want it to get done right how can we see things for what they are and get a little bit out of our momminess of not being able to see them clearly I mean, that's a big Big question. question. Go. That's why you're here. (laughs) Good Um, luck. (laughs) It's a great question. And I think it's all of it's our journey as as moms to figure out, like, what is taking care of your child and making sure that if there is something that you do need to help out and support in a different kind of way, because maybe there is a delay or maybe you can support them in a different kind of way that you're paying attention, but that your, your message isn't to yourself or to your child. There's nothing wrong with you. Right. It's more just, hey, every kid is going to come out in a different way and with with a different um, set of a range of of things from temperament to physical, you know, gross motor skills and intellectual skills and emotional skills. And we're charged with raising them in the most supportive way possible to let them unfold mm-hmm. as who they're supposed to be. And if that means that you just kind of notice, I think that to sell books or to sell anything, including parenting experts like Mea Culpa, we all, I mean, I don't, I try not to do this, but I think the burden is people want to give a really clear answer about what is supposed to be and what is right. And, um, and because of that, it can make you think that you're either 
going to not pay any attention and be laissez-faire because I'm not going to let this bother me, or you're going to hyper-parent and feel really um, obligated to make things perfect, which obviously you can't do. Um, And it is that thing, that boring answer of the in-between, which is pay attention and notice where your child is for their own development. And if they need extra support, help them without it being like, oh, my God. Like, if there is a delay, for example, it doesn't need to be um, a bad thing. It can just be. And we have kind of turned things into bad. Right. You know, um, it. You know, there are many people as adults that will say that their learning disability or that their attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or diagnosis was, in fact, the thing that drove them to something incredible right. that they did in their lives and a power, a superpower. So I think as long as you um, are a, able to notice things are going OK, so I'm not going to worry about it or wait a second. You know what? There is a little bit of a delay here. Let's just pay attention and see if we can support our kids, I think you're in a great position. Um, And I think it's just when we judge that there is a delay or that there is a problem as something that's, um, that that makes them less than, that that becomes the, or that it's our fault that we've done something, that that things are gonna be so awful for them. Because of course you want your kids to have easy lives. We want them to live with ease. Um, And it's hard to imagine if, for example, a five-year-old is having trouble um, with their social skills or impulse control or their language is delayed to think like, will this, will they live with ease with these challenges? Or if I notice a challenge, am I being overbearing? And I think that's where it's good to just notice, witness instead of judge and, you know, seek help when you need to. Also, a community is not. The, so there are certain things where I think the, um, one of my mentors actually uh calls um, this sister moms. Um, and I love that. And I think your community of sister moms can be so beneficial and wonderful. And it can, infl- you know, it can be part of social media when it's supportive. But when it's sister moms telling you a diagnosis right. that is hard to do as a professional, let alone just watching on Instagram, that is where it's toxic and but ridiculous. But that's the tricky part about real friendships versus familiarities and yeah. friendships or awareness or whatever connections that you have online is your real friends have the full picture. Your friends have been around you, been around your children, been, been in your life um, can 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 first of all you know help you work through anything that you're working through but also are aware of of you know the reality of it and I think sometimes with our digital with our feeling that sometimes we have these and in, in great ways too that you have these right. digital connecting places it does bring up people's feeling like either it's their obligation to say something or their or their privilege to say something or their right to say something or whatever. And it does bring up, I think, especially in con- even even though you know it's completely unfounded and ridiculous, it aut- all automatically triggers this like defensive exactly. nervousness. 100%. Am I wrong? Am I missing something? Exactly. And especially because people will say it like um, – say it as though they're experts right. and they may have had that their own experience cool. or they may have had a friend of a friend who had an experience of their own. It not is, enough. It's not right. And I do. And look at this. I thought you were going somewhere else, but I mean, that is, that is obviously something that happens and is really unnerving when it does. But it's, um, but it, I thought it was like p- people are looking at other people's children all the time and being like, when was he born? When was she right. born? What's he doing now? Why isn't my kid doing that? Both Kids ways. develop both so ways. differently. All of my children have developed so differently. Mm-hmm. There's a window. But also, like, say you don't hit that window. To your point, Aliza, it's not to say that you will never hit that window no, or that you will never a have a Ooh. rich and fulfilling life. And I think that as a, as a mother at, like, the core of all my anxieties are: Will my child have a fulfilling, happy life? Yeah, like, I want to set them up for that, and I and I want to set them up to love to learn and to like to be challenged and to feel resilient in that moment. Because something I through the uh, the sort of uh, preschool application processes that was brought up was: We don't even know what the hell we're preparing our kids for in this day and age. In twenty years, when your child has to go out and get a job, you have no idea what that <laughs> job is going to look like. The only thing you can give your children to prepare them, quote unquote, is a lifelong love of learning and of being pushed, and and of a, a resilience and an ability to adapt in un, in novel circumstances, and to be mm-hmm. and to be happy and calm when they're in that. I mean, putting totally. them in in certain environments that for that particular child might not work because it is so rigorous that's causing them, you know, pain and stress, then that's, you know, no matter how 
great the education is, it's just damaging. It's just damaging your kid. You have to be able to see your child for who they are, so that you can choose the right educational environment. For example, on the other hand, it's also figuring out how you can sit comfortably when they're distressed because they don't always have to enjoy themselves, especially in school, because school doesn't always, as they get older, there there are going to be times when school isn't fun. That's appropriate. It's the difference between it's not fun and it's actually causing so much stress that their brain can't learn. Um, That's a perfect way of putting it. I'm going to remember that. We just started like lots of homework with Carmen. It gets so frustrating that racing and that, and she has to be in like the right mindset and getting your kid in. Yes. But then also teaching them, you can't be like, oh, you just don't feel like doing that right now. It's like, no, you actually have to do your homework. You might not feel like it and you might want to time it in a particular way so they they have scheduled breaks that they know about so that it isn't just constantly burdensome, but that's also developing work habits and tools. That was something, um, again, the same headmaster who had shared the point about the resilience had said was, you know, people are really focused on getting your kids to love to read, right? This is something that, again, a skill set that is rapidly departing, it feels right. like. People are so, um, you know, yeah. quick and or just or they just want things delivered so much quicker than, than read, sitting and reading the full book could ever give you when Google is there, you know? Um, but obviously books take you a million. This is not a defense of reading. Reading is great. We should, we should be reading. <laughs> but the point was he was like, you. people think you need to you know, sit down and read for an hour. Maybe you're a 10-minute reader. You know, do to Try this experiment on yourself. Sit down and read a book. And when your mind starts to wander, you look off or you check on something or whatever, check your timer and see how long it was. Maybe it was 10 minutes. Maybe it was 12. Maybe it was 15, 20. Whatever that limit was, right. that's don't, your attentional that's your capacity. Atten- exactly, totally. and give your get up, walk around, get yourself a snack, do something else, mm-hmm. and come back to it. And that is so interesting for a homework application because we do have this thing of like go upstairs and do your homework and don't come down till it's done. Right, and that is such an inefficient way of getting kids to a love that learning and, and and habit forming and habit forming and a very unforgiving of different styles of learning. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of to your point. You, you want to standard things so that you can give advice around it. But it's also, it forces many people who are outliers to the standard deviation Mm -hmm. into this like really compact little box that doesn't necessarily take into account... I want to I want to go a little bit backwards though with you because so I um, Eliza is one of the co-founders of a group here in New York and also in LA called Seedlings, which I did not discover till I had my second my son John. Um, but it's basically such a brilliant idea and, and such an offline idea, which I thought was so great for mothers of similar age children in similar um, in like in the neighborhood to get together and have a science backed expert come and talk to you about milestone moments of that particular age group. And I joined when my son was probably like eight months old, six or eight months old. And it was so great to sit with these other moms, like 10 other moms. Part of it was a little bit of like just a moment to connect with other moms who were really a in your stage of motherhood. Because when, you, <laughs> when you're like in that six month mark and six months is really fun, but it's also, you know, lots of things are changing. You've maybe a regression going on. It's exhausting. You're trying to go back to work. Like there were so many things happening. And you talk to mothers of older kids and they're like, oh, isn't that just blissful? And you're like, yes, it's blissful, but it's also fun exhausting. Yeah. Like, and it was really nice to get to have other moms to go through that with and to learn really valuable. Like I remember the sensory play ideas. We were given this idea to um, fill a bathtub with I think shaving cream maybe and like get you know let your kid just get messy in the bathtub mm-hmm. and like feel what that sensation was and um and you know other like sifting for things through a box of rice and just these like little novel easy things to do as a mom to get your to engage with your child at that particular um you know developmental stage and also uh you know to ask questions that you're coming up with like you know the sleep regression or what have you. And I just, I'm, you know, I'm curious, where did this sort of community idea come from? And moms who aren't necessarily in the New York and LA yeah. area, you know, what do you recommend for, because your expertise, I won't even, I won't bore you guys with all of her degrees. It's unbelievable. It's really amazing. Um, but, you know, not everyone will get to be a part of these wonderful seedlings groups. And, and how do you sort of share that curriculum or share those ideas with them? Um, so basically, I was I was actually finishing my PhD and my partner who co-founded Seedlings Group had finished and gone to be a postdoc somewhere and we both got pregnant at the same time and we were um, going to each other to talk about, you know, what people were saying about what you had to have or what you had to do and all of the things that were out there and we kind of wanted to just 
check in with each other because sometimes there's tons of research and information. Sometimes there's tons of research to tell you we don't really know. That's like right. where, where it comes out. And so it was frustrating to feel inundated with information that was not necessarily complete. And how do you process that? Right. So we thought, wait, why don't we do what we're doing with each other with groups of moms because we are, you know, looking at the data and we are steeped in the research, but there's a way to bring it in. You know, I call it from page to stage and it's just like so much research is out there and it just goes into academic journals and then nobody hears about it or you hear about it in some really, you know, ridiculous article that makes you terrified Mm -hmm. about something or Mm -hmm. overvalue another thing, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And so we thought, why don't we do that and support moms because really all you want to do when you have your babies is connect in some way. And um, so we wanted it to be by neighborhood to ask as little as possible of the moms. And then it just kind of grew over time. So some of our groups have been together for um, 12 years and they have 20 some odd babies between them. And obviously we're talking about mixed ages and all sorts of things. Um, but that was really how it evolved. And some groups are much more interested in like, what can I do to fill the day? And how do I connect and support my baby's development? Um, and then other groups just really want to talk about bigger picture stuff, you know, like they're feeling securely attached and they're feeling like they're responding to their infants' needs while giving boundaries and discipline and, you know, building resilient kids and, uh, you know, peers. So the conversations are endless with moms. And so it just became um, a natural thing for us to do. And we just meet once a month. But then we created some Zoom groups so that people who aren't either, they just are like, I have too many kids and too much to do and I cannot go anywhere, but I want to connect. Or because they're not in... New York or LA, um, or we didn't have time. So what's a Zoom group? So Zoom is an is a I don't know what it, what, what is Zoom a it's meeting not an app it's a, a meet it's a meeting yeah. app yeah, yeah. thank you. You guys all know these things. Please, please just like give me a nod while you're listening to this podcast. Be like, Ilaria, you weren't alone. I didn't know what that no, was. No, honestly, I only learned it from working at the hospital and needing to have meetings with people in different yeah, places. Same. So we just started those, but that we only have a few. Um, and otherwise, I think um, finding anybody in your community who is, I mean, for us, it was like, this is, has to be non judgmental and. We, whatever we talk about, please don't leave and say like, oh, my God, you know, so-and-so was so insane and fixated on the minutia of her child's pincher grasp and like, what a lunatic. Right. Um, or they don't care at all and they aren't even breastfeeding or some kind of judgmental, mm-hmm. you know, mean mom stuff that we need to just get rid of. I um, mean, I know where it comes from. It comes from, you know, that sense of if someone else is doing something different from me. Does that mean that what I'm doing is wrong if I don't defend it? Right. You know? Right. And so I think it makes us, it, you know, you always go into like, not always, but we tend to a- anger or criticize comes out with anxiety. Um, and so we wanted all that to be gone. And we used to separate groups literally. We'd say like, okay, we're going to interview you. And if you do believe in sleep training, we'll do a group with these moms. If you are breastfeeding, We'll do this group if you're formula oh, feeding. Wow, we'll you do really this group. Like broke it apart. When in the beginning, just because we couldn't figure out how to take the animosity out of it, and then over time, it became. And I don't know if it was we we got less. We felt more comfortable helping create a circle of non-judgment, mm-hmm. so that you could sit there and breastfeed. And you could sit there and formula feed and you could talk about crying out or you could say I co-sleep and that there wouldn't be judgment because we we did feel like it, there was a protective factor of there's a science based, you know, there's a developmental psychologist in the room who can say, hey, by the way, I know you feel passionate about this and you feel passionate about this. Here's what the literature says. You guys are both doing great, <laughs> you know, so um, and the way that you do it is going to be different depending on what works for your family. Um, I mean, some things that is not true. Some things there's clear evidence one way or the other. But it it felt more comfortable for us to say, like, let's try not to have judgment. And also, while you're busy judging, take into account, like, where are you getting that information from? And why are you so why do you feel so compelled to make sure that other people feel the same way you do? I did not ever feel like I was being guided to one opinion or another. It was just scaffolding to help me navigate the choices I was already making. And also, yeah, no, truly. And also, also um, to offer different perspectives 
as I was engaging with the, like the next step and the next step and the next step. And interestingly, babies were not a part of our meetings, I think, because they were late at night. We met at like 7.30 at night or so. What, um, yes, the, the yeah. night groups, yeah. there's no babies. There was, and it was wine and dinner. And yeah. It was like, it was also as, it was as much about, I think if anything, it actually forced um, a real awareness that, because I think I, what you were saying before makes a lot of sense, the, the the anger and the animosity come from real anxiety that we have about our own parenting and our own, is what we're doing enough? Yes. Are we enough of a mother? And I think um, I had like a real switch flip moment after I went back to work, I think with Philomena, maybe with John, where I had to stop thinking about it that way. It's not about enough. You're not just like trying to like, you know, put money in the bank. And right. like it, that should not, that the enough thing is not how I think I could healthily think about balancing my time and giving my children the best version of me and being able to do it in a way that was um, that long term served them. It, and, and what I ended up changing my thinking to be was how do I make I know I'm not going to be able to be with my children 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And and for some moms, that that's amazing and it mm-hmm. works for them. And for some moms, that would make, drive them crazy. And for me, it's neither of those. It's just how my life functions. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be my reality. But what? how do I make them feel when I am with them? And what when I switched my focus to how I made them feel, it actually let me feel so then much you happier. Felt more. It was such totally. a it was such a gift to like get rid of some of that mom guilt and get rid of some of that anxiety that I wasn't enough and to go to um, you know, not not trying to to fill and because of, with like Philomena, my oldest there, it will never be enough. Right. Like anything I can give and more, oh it will God. it will be taken. There was no school yesterday, Carmen. Oh, we did. I was off. told <laughs> I was a bad mommy. I don't know how many times, mostly by her, but the other ones. Because you well. had a boundary. Did you have a bound? Did you give a boundary? No, I so I made the mistake of trying to get work. Like I was like, I want to go to the playground with them because like they're never like all four together and during the week. And so I was like, I'll go to the playground, and I had to work because it was Tuesday. And trying to do that at the same time as chase them around as and then at one point I left to um, have a more professional phone call. I go and I sit and I didn't realize they could see me there no. for the entire 10 minutes with their faces to my mommy, mommy, and Carmen crying like I want to go to you. And I'm like, guys, please just give me five, 10 minutes and I'll be OK. And then I come back and Carmen is like screaming at me and telling me I'm a bad mom as I'm walking them home and talking to them. And I'm saying, you know, they're telling me that I'm not being good mommy because I'm not paying attention to them 100 percent. Carmen says to me, she's like, you only love the boys and you don't hold my hand as tightly as you hold theirs. Like it's such like telenovela, like Spanish drama. And I was like, how do you know how tightly? She's like, I can tell. So anyway, that was. I love that you tried to rationalize with her on the like tightness. Just curious. How do you know? Do you have some kind of like mechanism for adjusting pressure? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, there's. I think that the the mom guilt is. But I think that's actually a good indication of of just you know how much you normally give and how completely you are present most of the time. Yeah, they're not used to me being on the phone while They're not used to you. Exactly. And, but the point being, even though you have filled that coffer over and over and over again, miraculously Never it's enough. empty every Never time. Yeah. I know. I'm it like, but remember shows, like yeah. when I was like, you know, like five minutes ago, it doesn't no. matter. You know, when those things happen, if you can reframe these moments to just acknowledging how they're feeling, but not apologizing for having to work or having to go to the bathroom or not be present 24-7, but just saying, like, you really feel like I hold your brother's hands tighter. That must that must hurt your feelings. But then do but then you let her live in that reality that's not true. So then you could let her you're opening the door for her to say more. And then if she doesn't, if she's just like, yeah, I feel that way, then you can say, you know, I can, you know, I can Think of examples where I imagine I just want to be held so tight that it feels like other people are getting held tighter. But, you know, for me, I love you all the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I'm holding you, that's how I hold you. It's not about tight or not tighter. Nothing is the same. It's our unique. um, I don't know how old this kid is, by the way, as I'm saying this. Fine. So this is fine. Um, But that's how that's how we are. But thank you for telling me how you're feeling, because sometimes you don't need 
you, you'll never be able to prove to them right. that you're Well, then enough. you also get put on the defensive. Exactly. So I'm like, remember when I, you know, she was just sick recently? I slept with her at some point during the night, if not the whole night, for like almost a month because she was not feeling and well. And then you want to remind and her And I was like, that. remember that? Right. You know? And so you like, get she stuck was... in this rational mm-hmm. It's not brain. rational. It's not yeah. rational yeah. for them. Exactly. They're thinking it's with jealousy. not their, their right. And so when you think like that, sometimes to get your brain back, you need somebody to just say like, if you're seeing... Something like that, that must feel crummy. But I also don't want to fall into that thing. And I, and you're not saying that, but I always fear when I go along those. It's like, I'm sorry you feel that way. No, no. <laughs> oh, that's no, really no, good no, point. You, yeah. you, it's a great point. And actually, I, I've had this conversation many times. It has to be an authentic, true empathy. Mm-hmm. Not a like... Um, too bad for you. I'm sorry you're feeling yeah. that way. Like feel like psychology. Like you're comment. living. I know right. my 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 um, parents one once or twice said to me, "I know you think you feel that way." Oh, right? No, so patronizing. No, that that would drive me crazy because there's nothing that we need to tell our kids. I always say like. All feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not. And you oh, absolutely. Like that. Like that Another tattoo I'm going to be listening. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be listening to this and just like, Writing you know, like paste down. him on the door. But it's enough. It's like you're allowed to feel that way. And how you feel is how you feel. Right. There's there's it. It drives me. Can you see how excited I got? I'm like, don't tell somebody you think they think they feel something. Right. They 100 percent feel that way. Right. It's just they can't necessarily then stick their face through the thing, scream at you and interrupt your call. Right. You know, you can feel upset that mommy's on the phone. But so I how still do you need give them perspective it. at the same time? Because that's my that's my thing. And I where I would see where my parents were going with that is like, well, you're X age right now. And I know that this feels like it's really important. But when you're this right, age, right. it's not going to be. You can't. You can't. You can't because it's like for them, if you tell – it's like telling a child who's afraid of something, you don't need to be afraid of that. Monsters aren't real. Oh, my God. This is another good one because no, I'm I dealing know, with that I right know. now too. Because you do it's not then, a rational fear. Well, right. If that – if first of all, if that worked – I don't know if you guys have ever been anxious about something irrational, but I certainly have been. Right. I'm sure today already. Don't worry about your presentation. Just don't think yeah. about it. It's like, <laughs> th- thanks for that. Thanks for that advice. I will be sure to never come to you again when I'm feeling anxious about something. And that's the message to your kids when you're like, you don't have to worry. You think you're, you think that's a big deal. Wait till you get to um, whatever. Here's what you're really going to be scared exactly. of. It drives me crazy. It's the same thing when you say to moms, like, if if, you know, a mom has older kids, it's like, oh, I missed the baby time. It was so easy. Mm-hmm. Excuse mm-hmm. me? I thought you were going to say and about when everyone's know. like, yeah. bigger kids, bigger problems. Right. And uh, when you have little kids, you're like, cool. what do you Great. mean? I'm tired. Yeah. No, not a cool thing <laughs> no. to say. So all it sent, the message to your kids when you say that you didn't see that monster is note to self, don't tell mom. So what I do, what I do, and tell me if I'm like completely wrong. So I'll say to her, I'll, I'll say to her, monsters don't exist. But I'll be with you while you're being afraid. We brought like sage in because we mm-hmm. have sage because I'm a yoga teacher. We'll do, we have like lavender. We like do we she has dream catchers. Mm-hmm. Like we have we all did that these too. We stuff. had a magic spray that was That's like a great. protective magic spray yeah. that we but did. But at the same time, I, what I'm afraid of that, and I don't have this clear. Because people, I it's asked, confusing. It's confusing. I don't want that. If it's to not then, real, why do we need to protect exactly. against it? So this one's tricky, and here's why: because there are different ages where your brain's development allows you to believe certain things in different ways. And we give mixed messages because if you have a tooth fairy or Santa Claus, right. you're you're kind of like you got to go with it or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, no, if good people can creep into your house. Why can't bad people? Yeah. So um, when they're younger, it's okay to say – it's okay to validate their fears. You're so scared there's monsters here. I don't allow monsters in the house. We have a no monster policy. I use this spray. You can use it. You know, you can do that with young kids in the same way. It's fantasy. Um, but as they're old, you know, getting older and she's six, this is a six-year-old, you can say, um, tell me about this monster. And don't try to get rid of the fact that she thinks it's a monster or get rid of how scary that is. Um, and then I think you can do like when I'm scared of monsters. And for me, a monster means something different because I know there aren't monsters, but I also get scared when um, I think of 
you know, something else that's giving you fears that isn't going to like scare them, scare them. And you're when like, you hear the creaking are, in the, the house way, and there you there run downstairs monsters. with the pan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so funny because when they hit like seven, eight, nine, they start to be afraid of real, real monsters, yeah. which are called, you know, criminals right. that are going in and and trying to kill you or trying to steal from you or whatever. And right. You can't really say at that point, like, not to worry. I mean, you can and you should say we keep our sa- our home safe and there are people who have jobs that to keep us safe and most people are good and you could do all those things. But with monsters, fantasy monsters and fantasy play, it's better not to try to use reason later at a different time of day, not in the night when she's afraid. You can say those stories about, um, you know, monsters feel really real and sometimes you really see them. Um but let's think of other things that you think are real in the movies and you can talk about a dragon slayer or whatever characters that she might see um, and try to explain it. But in those moments, you just want to say, "That's that must have scared you. I can't see what's happening in your body right now. Is your tummy feeling it? Your hands feeling it? We're not letting any monsters in this house. And if you want to draw a sign on your door, you can put a, you know, no no monsters allowed sign. Um, And then, again, you can and you can ask her to draw it for you. You can see if she can make silly faces on the monster, like what would make that monster less scary? And then when she's in her right brain and meaning her open to learning brain, the one where she's not flooded with stress, you can say that monsters aren't real, but that they can that your fantasy life can become so creative that you can come up with so many different wild monsters and then you can open books and take out, you know, look at picture books and see like look at that that person thought about monsters so much they made a children's book out of it. And look at all these beautiful illustrations here. And what could you think of that maybe we can write a book about monsters and we can put this monster in the book? So you can build on their fantasy and let them have the, these fantasy, fantastic thoughts. But give it a still, positive connotation. Yeah. With, and, in, and acknowledge their fear. In that vein of the rational versus irrational fears, this is something that we're dealing with right now. They did a presentation at my kid's school about fire and about fire safety. Sure. And all it has precipitated is a nonstop fear that if you're not at school, you're not safe, that fires could consume your home, that my my daughter also now she's five she'll she'll come, she'll ask me I know exactly where the train is headed she'll ask me how many kids are at her school and then how many teachers and she wants to know whether the teachers could realistically save, save all of these oh children and it's just like or this, the or the drills that they have to do where they have to go and be the lockdown drills lockdown drills yeah, and no, and I mean these are real things that kids the country over the world real, over are confronting right now and yeah. and you know they had this. It's a weird thing because as a parent to really young children, my kids are five and younger, to have them have been at an assembly where like in an effort to prepare them, they were made aware of things like a burning building that they would have to get down on their arms and belly and crawl underneath it. I mean, it's a little it's I think it's really intense. Was it an assembly for like a whole lower school? Yeah. They do, uh, but that's what that's, that's what, what they, they do. do now. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really, really tough. I and mean, I, I hope they let you know because that means that you need to be able to be the first explainer for your kids, right. so right. that they come to you. So you can say, oh, at school they're going to be doing some drills, which we, which I which I we we were not given that heads up. You. But but also, even if I'd known to prepare them, I wouldn't have known what to prepare them for. I wouldn't have known how in detail the conversation was going to go. Or once they get this er, this fear, what do not, you do that's then? not irrational, yeah. but once they get this fear, what do you do then? And how do you deal with the anxiety that then it starts to go into, I feel like probably where Philo is and where Carmen is right now, they start to develop like insane fears. Carmen could not enjoy um, a Halloween. Not because she's afraid of the monsters and stuff like that, but because she has this fear right now that one of her brothers is going to get lost. And she started doing it right. in I the spring. That. So more close to, to Philo's age. She started doing it in the spring where she was like just screaming, oh, you're going to lose my brothers. Pay attention to your children. Her belly hurts. Her head hurts. She gets herself into such a state. I mean, is this an age thing or is it? It's both. So it's a, she's having a, you know. A little panic attack. She's having a little stress response. Yeah. And that's when your body feels like you're being chased by a bear. And it should, you know, to protect you because we're all built to fight, flight, or freeze when Mm -hmm. we're stressed out. She's going into that panic mode. 
over things that she doesn't need to. And so what she needs to learn to do, like we all need to learn to do, is when the alarm bells go off in your system, when you have a stress response, that the part of your brain that is able to quiet it and say, hey, I checked it all out. There's no bear. Go back to normal. That she's good at that, which mm-hmm. is why being, you know, practicing mindfulness is such a good habit for grownups and for kids as they um, get a little bit older and can do it more easily because you're practicing going from, you know, lizard brain contr- to exactly yeah. to lizard to wizard. Um, oh, I like all lizard to wizard is another <laughs> tattoo I'm going to need to have. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if you teach them about their wizard brain, over time, when wizard, they, why? Because it can magically control the rest of your because brain. Because their or? wizard brain is thinking, and their lizard brain is just reacting. Acting. And if you're going to react in that fight, flight, or freeze, which you do when you're like fully panicked, mm-hmm. your wizard brain needs to be turned on. And if it can't turn on, you're not going to be able to get out of that loop. So one thing to practice again, in not in the heat of the moment, is. How do you access your wizard brain? How do you remind yourself to to connect with your wizard brain? For an adult, a wizard brain is a prefrontal cortex, but for kids, that's a you know, <laughs> hey kids, hey kids, <laughs> connect with um, your prefrontal cortex. And um, and it's good to teach them about how their brain works because then they can recognize what's going on. Oh, this is what's happening. I'm confusing. Blah. That's not real with a big threat that's real, and I need to. My lizard brain is taking over. How do you how do you teach them that? So one way to do that is to actually talk to them about their how their brain works and um, practice. Like, mm-hmm. is that your lizard brain or your wizard brain? And give scenarios. One way to do it is to have breathing buddies. You know, like stick a bear on their a, a teddy bear on their tummy at night. It's hard. Some kids are like this, but if you you know if you just said we're going to meditate, <laughs> they'd be like not necessarily into it. Maybe get one of your. You know, one of your kids would be into it. But but if you say um, if they have a favorite stuffed animal and their stuffed animal needs to breathe three times every night before bed, then you put that on their tummy and they have to get them to breathe. So their tummy has to make the bear go oh, up. I'm saying this. bear, but it doesn't have to be a bear. It's whatever. In fact, we have no bears in the house. We mostly have other, you know, creatures for <gasps> our unicorn. stuffed animals. We definitely have a lot of unicorns. Yeah. Um, so you watch it breathe. And again, you're practicing and it's. You're not getting this lesson in today or tomorrow. This is the long game. This is the marathon. But what you're doing is you're practicing controlling your breath. Mm. Just like if you do, I mean, you do yoga. So you know that like that takes years and years. And when you end up having that kind of practice, you're better able to go back to zero faster because your body knows how to do it. It's how your brain is wired. And so you want to do those little sprinkles of activities. And then separately, like if they're panicked, one thing that we tend to do is make sure that they don't have to be exposed to that kind of fear. So because their distress is so upsetting. So making sure with anxiety in particular that you don't say, okay, they don't like that, so I'm never exposing them to it. I know that's going to upset them. You may or may not do that, but that tends to be as moms, we're protective and we're like, if you're terrified of this, people tend to have extreme reactions, either like, oh, you're going and you're experiencing that. I was thrown in the pool. You're thrown in the pool or the opposite, like, Okay, we know that makes you miserable. We're never exposing right. you to but that. But her again. brothers are always me around, and the house could always burn and, down. And the truth and is, those right. We have to live with a little bit of distress, right. um, sometimes, or a little bit of anxiety, and that's okay. It's when it's so much that you can't function. And so, saying, um, you know, when the fire drills are going on, like, okay, well. That that's to give you a plan because it's the grown-up's job to have a plan to protect kids no matter what. If anything happens, even if there's the tiniest little chance, and we have that plan too at home. It's just we don't have drills because there's it's just us. But this this is one of the this is a grown-up problem, and this is where the grown-ups will worry about it. So whenever they have worries, they can put them down. You can write them out with them, and then they can give them to you, and that can go into your worry basket instead of theirs because that's also important too. Like, I've got this. Right. You don't need to have this. And over time, it's just a practice. It's hard because the the loop of anxiety is also you get a lot of attention for anxiety. And if you have a thousand siblings, that's a great way to differentiate. I mean, remember that resources are scarce once you have more than one kid because your whole job as a kid is to get – the resource from the caregivers. And so you have to share that, and it's wonderful to share it. But you also 
it's your job to be like, I'm going to get more. And so she's doing a great job. <laughs> um, and it's just a matter of hearing her, v- validating that she's having that feeling, and then moving on. So she's not sitting in her worries right. too long. So you would say right now, for, for, the, for like Daphne should say to her daughter, you know, I, I hear I hear you and I just want you to know that it's safe. We this. have our fire extinguishers mm-hmm. everywhere yeah. and sort of kind of end. Right. And then if she asks you again, because sometimes they'll ask the same yeah. questions days in a row, you say, you tell me. What's our um, plan? That's a good one. So that you don't have to go into that. Oh, and what my about God. when? But then what about when her brothers are like, well, go across the street. There's a coffee shop and the brothers lo- love to go and look at this eyeglass kids eyeglass store. They have like toys in the window <laughs> and like merry-go-round and stuff like that. And they're literally like three, four but feet away. But she panics that they're too far? She panics and she starts screaming and then they think it's funny and then they taunt her and then it ends up being this whole big thing and then I'm like, why did I leave the house with four children ah. alone? Well, I have a question. When she starts screaming, what's what's the adult reaction? So it's anything from... It mixes, and I don't always do it right. Um, it's anything from at the beginning when she started doing it, it was so weird. Like, it was like, what like is does it happening? scare? Does it scare you or irritate you? No, or? I'm like, I, I say, Carmen, everything is safe. I'm looking at them. They're right here. Right. They are. They're old enough to know not to run in the street. The baby doesn't know how to that, so we don't let him We're do careful. that. Right. right. But the other ones, they know. Um, and she did the first one. We're in the LA Zoo, and it's like an enclosed place. And it is what the point of bringing them there was to let them. She's run like around. a helicopter right. sister. She is a helicopter <laughs> sister. And then it tells telling me I'm a bad mom, and then telling me that I she's gonna lose all her brothers and that they're gonna die. Like and try, and it's so funny because neither Ooh. Alec or I are like that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of you wonder where did this well, come you know, from? Sometimes. Sometimes if you, this happens more with couples, but like one, the, if when one couple, when one person is super vigilant, the other one is super relaxed, and then when they stop being vigilant, or if they go out of town, the relaxed ones all of a sudden like, uh, yeah, <laughs> because they've allowed the yeah. other person to yeah. take all of the anxiety. Yes. So I think it's saying to her, "You've been having a lot of trouble worrying about your brothers when they're again some other time when you're walking around and there isn't a threat." Um, and I, I want to make sure you understand, I actually think really hard about when each of you is ready to have different freedoms, because it's important to me that you both have freedom, mm-hmm. but that you're safe. Mm-hmm. And every year of your life, as you get more responsible, you'll have more and more freedom. And some of you will have more freedom when you're younger than the others, because that's just how you're wired, right. how you're built. You're just more responsible. So you're going to have more freedom. And... When I give your brothers that freedom, I'm paying very close attention. But they need to be given that freedom so that they can see that they're capable and competent. So let's not stop them. And I will do the mom thing. And you make sure you take care of yourself. Yeah. And that's it. So she is aware of it. And then you can say, when that happens... I wonder if you're feeling like I don't know what's going on and you need to report it to well, me. I think she also like pats herself on the back as she should because she there are a lot of kids around and yeah. anybody who has a lot of kids or is one of many kids knows that everybody's looking out for each other. So, you Which know, she'll great. she'll run after one of them who like the, yesterday one of them picked up an acorn and was hiding in the hand. She's like, "Mommy, Romeo has an acorn in the hand and it's chokeable." And it was one of those things where it's like <laughs> Yes, thank you so much. And they all do it. So like, right. I think that they, they all take care of each other. And there's times when it works out well. And then there's times when it's causing them unnecessary So it may be stress. that there are times when you tell them, like, keep your eye out. Keep your eyes out. Keep your eyes on each other. Be supportive. And there are times when you're like, this is fine. This is all. This is yeah. only adults are paying attention. Yeah. This is you do think, just I, take care of you. I think your advice of having, and this is actually probably like in relationships, we all have this with of having these conversations with our children when they're not in that panic state. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times, whether you have one child, because again, as I said before, that's hard to having, you know, almost five children like me, that's hard too. You're just, you're tired and you're like, great. If there's not, a, like, there's not, a, not if I'm, something's not going if wrong. Something's, I was going to say a fire going on, but I don't know if I have to have news conversations with this. But if that's not happening, let's just have it be nice right now totally. and like relax and like just be able you to don't take bring a deep anything breath. Up. Well, that and I'm just tired. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, um, so I feel, but I do feel like do it when you're walking anyway. Like when they're walking, do it when you're. Oh, it's always it's hard in New York 
But anywhere else in the country, it's great to have chats when you're driving because they're in the back seat and there's no eye contact and they can, it doesn't feel as like we're having a talk. Right, right, right. right. Um, So when you're walking or having, you know, doing something else with each other, it's always better. And you don't have long conversations. You have like a quick conversation and let them talk. And then if it's clear that they're like, I've shut down now, just let it go. And you sprinkle in some more information another time. And when you're six, as you get older, you can also say, so what's the plan now? You can get back to me later with your ideas for how we're going to manage this next time. So that you're also giving them problem-solving skills. So they're not just like listening to you direct them, but they're like, okay, I got to figure this out. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to tell you what my plan is. Um, She might end up needing a mantra like, I'm safe. Right now, I'm safe. Right now, my brothers are safe. Right now, my mommy and daddy and my caregiver are paying attention to me and making sure we're all safe. And I'm going to worry about kids when I'm a grown-up, right. you know? Interesting. What do, would you have advice for, for parents who are dealing with anxiety as well? Oh, when they oh, have their own anxiety. Yeah, their... within themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's no, you know, it's so interesting about how the brain develops. So your brain grows the first three years like a million connections per second. It's crazy. Then in adolescence, it's a huge sensitive period, so your brain grows a ton. And the next time you have huge growth potential is when you have a new baby. So like becoming the transition to parenthood is your next opportunity after adolescence. It's your most vulnerable, sensitive brain. It's when people quit smoking. It's when people are able to read a ton when they hadn't before. It's when they're, you know, you see the the best of people or not, or the most vulnerable, and it can be the darkest time for some people. So when you have anxiety and you know that about yourself, you you know, you can use this as an opportunity of being a parent to say, it's time for me to take care of this so that I can help take care of my kids. Mm -hmm. Because it's in your body. It's physiological. You're co-regulating with the people in the room with you. So if you are like this, which is you can't shaking see. and Thank quivering you. and just like on, at your all your fried neurons and good narration. Yes, definitely. okay, go. Thank you go for on. narrating that. <laughs> um, then you are sending out that energy, and I'm not saying that in a woo-woo way. I mean the physics of it all. Yeah, of course. And so it's important to address that in yourself and seek support and help. And if you know that you have severe anxiety, go to a therapist and find those activities that can help you practice, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction is a great six-week program you can do that's very evidence-based, and then it gives you practical tools to take home so that you can spend five minutes working on it per Mm -hmm. day. Um, I think those are all important for people who are really suffering. For people who aren't suffering so much as just like a neurotic, a little bit of a neurotic New Yorker kind of anxiety, some of that's protective. It's not that big a deal to have anxiety. Well, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, I don't want to pass my stuff on to right. my children. We don't. Um, we and too. you know, I, when you look at whatever is going on with our with our kids, you know, some of it could be like a school conversation. Some of it could be. I'm sure that some of it comes from us. Sure. And and what can we do as as parents to look at ourselves in order to free our children of not having to deal with all of the same mistakes, because of course there's going to be a couple of them. Well, I think it's part of it is just being naming it, you know, like, oh, right. You breathe oxygen onto these. It's weird those those demons and nightmares and things that in your head yeah. take on a life of their own, and then you speak them aloud to someone else, and only then can you see how irrational yes. or inflated they yeah. were, you know. But hiding them or keeping them in your head only makes, it's like growing a plant mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. watering it and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've made a beautiful garden in my head of terror. But if you just express <laughs> it, <laughs> but if you talk about it, that's why, you know, one of the things that I think is wonderful about mom groups, who cares if you have a developmental psychologist running it or you're doing it just with your peers and sister moms, it's the idea that when you say these thoughts out loud, most of the time people are like, me too. Me too. Yeah, and and I'm so good. excited to find out that I'm not insane. Yes. Or if I am, that there is a broader range of, you know, what's acceptable to think before you're actually supposed to be institutionalized. <laughs> and I think that that's very comforting because even for kids, I will never forget when my little, my oldest was four, she said something, she was asking about God. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And she said, 
I'm just really scared because um, I had a really bad thought and I'm afraid God's going to punish me. And I was like, um, tell me <laughs> tell me a little <laughs> more about this. Um, and she said, well, I thought I wanted Vivian to shut up. Vivian's her baby sister. And I was like, and so did you say that to her? And she said, well, no, but God's everywhere and God can hear everything, which, by the way, I don't know, you know, I have no idea where she got that from. If it's true, if it's not true, who knows? But she felt that way. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I thank you for th- it was a great teaching moment for me because I was like, God, if if there's God and you believe in God and you think God can hear you, I just wanted you to know you're, your thoughts are going to have lots of mean things in them. That's normal it's your how you act on those thoughts Mm -hmm. if you want to hurt someone but you don't that's cool (laughs) that's a very natural feeling for when you're a kid to just be like um and so she turned it into a you know a religious thing but in general I thought it was an incredible lesson for whether it was God or her conscience or whatever thing that she was processing this little tiny child taught me that if you can find out because then she was like in tears of happiness. Yeah, relief. I can she imagine. Was like, oh my god, I thought I was a bad person, and she was Aww. flipping out. But that's what that's she was just, just like, a little tiny peanut, oh. and it was such a lesson because I'm like, you know what? Adults feel that way. Oh, that's all of us. When you think you're a bad mom, because yeah. you're having a completely normal. That's right, a normal experience, and you just sit there, and if you say it out loud to someone else, and they're like, I have the same feeling. You're like, yes. I was sick of my kid too, or whatever. Nothing ever bonds you so much. Yeah. Wait, I yeah, we have to let you go, which I, is I, really right. depressing to me because there are so, so many things to, to talk to you about. <laughs> and actually, you know, obviously, we could never possibly cover all that Aliza has to offer in one hour, but she does have her own podcast called Raising Good Humans which I for one think is I'm so glad that you do because they're I can only imagine that your friends you must be so irritated with your friends because they must constantly be like Aliza this happened to me and this, tell me how to fix it I know it. you'll never um, want to be friends with me huh? <laughs> <laughs> knock knock no I, I actually think half the time my friends are like I'm telling you this I don't want to hear don't, your thoughts or your, your opinions smart or those I see people um, uh, like I'll bump into friends or clients on the street and they're like I know I'm doing something horrible because they're like Baby's pacifiers in their mouth, and I'm like, I don't. What do what to what do I owe this reputation? <laughs> no, I don't register all of these things, and I'm not judging anybody. And I'm a terrible mom a lot of the time. I just know that that's okay sometimes. Yes, which is which again, you know, more information, you know, better. But I want to ask you one last question because it is something that um, that I'm dealing with right now, and I think I can imagine a lot of the people in like the toddler stage are. My kids never want to apologize. Do I have to force them to apologize? At what point does it? <laughs> What point does it click in? And connecting with that part of the question, because I know that the Cal is going to kill us soon. Um, Cal's the producer. He's going to kill us soon. I had, a, I had a teacher say to us when we were having the same thing with Carmen, is like, why are you going to make her say she's sorry? She's not sorry. And then I was like, well, you have to teach her that. So then which is it? Okay, go. So you will teach a toddler does not need to be forced to apologize because they don't understand what they're doing. And what they need to feel is what can I do to help make this person I have wronged feel better? And they need to learn over time what that is. And sometimes it's an apology and sometimes it's not an apology. Sometimes it's like you wish an apology would make this person feel better. So I think that's a really important thing to remember is that a toddler's just, first of all, a lot of times they act out and they feel bad immediately and you feel like, whew, they're not crazy and they're not a sociopath. But sometimes they don't feel bad. Sometimes they're like, <laughs> the teacher it's said. a little bit funny or it's a little bit like, yeah, yeah, I did. And you she don't had know, that but she had that for coming. Her. You got, you got what so was coming to you. It's more important to help them understand what just happened and how it impacted the other person. And later in life, you can, and, and even early on, as you apologize, when you do something that hurts someone, they'll start to see that modeled and they'll start to feel the empathy that you're really hoping that they'll feel that is just not as natural. And not that they're not empathetic, but just in those moments, you know, you have so many kids. I am sure that there's been a time where somebody's actually hurt, but they're like so busy trying to get you to say that they didn't do it, that the kid could have like, like maybe not so extreme uh, something broken but like you could have a hurt kid crying and the other kids are like it wasn't me daily tell me if you like this you know what we do i go and i make them ask the person how they are 
ask how they are, ask what they need, and you have to listen and you have to look them in the eye. And it is forcing and they don't want to do it and they, they really struggle with it. But I figure let's go through the steps. Don't expect perfection from them and little by little be happy. Because the thing that bothers me as an adult when people will like, you know, say they're sorry is if they don't change their behavior. Right. It's like, great. Sorry doesn't mean because my kids, when I full force them to say sorry, go sorry, you know, like that kind of thing. Or they'll just be like, OK, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say I'm sorry. And then I'm going to go and do right. it. Again. You don't want Eddie Haskell, which is like a, a 1950s show that now when I reference it, everybody's like, what are you even yeah, talking about? So Leave it to Beaver had this character who all the adults loved because he was so polite, but he was the meanest kid. And it's like, don't make the mistake of making them do the thing that makes it seem like they're a good person. No, I don't want to seem Help like them a good be person. a good person. Right. And so it takes a long time. But when they're toddlers, the forced apology, I would say, I think it's great to say one way to to make amends is to ask another person how you can help them. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're forcing, go picture that they're not in their wizard brain, so they can't really learn or think in it, it can be a little bit tricky. So, so, and sometimes like forcing somebody to look in, look at someone in the eyes feels like they're paying attention, but sometimes you just get a shut down brain who's like. But you feel like some part of it's like practice, like just, you were going to practice I think this. the practice of imagining how they could help someone feel better is wonderful. I think the practice of forced, you know, like forcing them how they're going to do that mm-hmm. might not serve you. As well as just the idea of let's figure out what we can do to make. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of any child's name and it. The world is a blank. Jack. Jack <laughs> feel better. <laughs> and then um, also separate. Basically, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't want to shame a kid because then they go into their red brain or their lizard brain or whatever. And they can't learn and they can't feel feel They can't feel bad. They're too busy shutting down and being ashamed. A little guilt is OK. Like, Wow. When you did that behavior, bit or hit or did, you know, yelled or stole a toy, your sister was really sad. Let's figure out how we can help her feel better. But you have to make sure that they're not in a space of like, I'm a bad kid. I'm the bad. I'm labeled as a bad kid. I'm the brute. I'm the this because that's shaming. And Mm -hmm. it's like so it's just a um, So sometimes when you bring someone over and you say, like, do your apology or do this. They don't understand that it's not that they're bad. Mm-hmm. It's that what happened, that behavior is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. So it's you, only you guys know when you're in the room, like how that, you it's know, unfolds and how it's mm-hmm. going to go over. But keep in mind that the, the apology itself or the process of those habits is less habit and more actual learning to build those feelings and those those empathic exactly whereas like please and thank you is a habit but your your fear is if you don't do that your kids won't necessarily learn to be compassionate and they will think they will be those kids that can you know hit people in the play yard and do all that kind of no and so you you have to make it clear the behavior is unacceptable to you and also you are compassionate people like when you walk through the planet caring about the people around you and feeling sad for people who are going through something or when you hurt someone really owning up to it including your kids like if you do something that you wish you hadn't done saying like I'm really sorry that that was not I'm going to pay attention to that more now blah 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 whatever you're raising them to be compassionate it's in the water in their environment it's Mm -hmm. just not direct teaching Mm -hmm. because sometimes it just doesn't get through to them at that young age a six-year-old I think you can start to say like you know, in the social world you're in, it's pretty acceptable when you do something like punch someone in the face to apologize and ask them, is there something you can do to help them feel better? Can you get them some ice? You know, fair. <laughs> but a three year old, it just it won't translate as much. That was a good Are we question. seven hours we're, over? We're so Sadly. Over and where can we follow you and learn more about you? Um, I think just Instagram. I'm terrible other than Instagram at Raising Good Humans podcast or at seedlings group on inst both of those are on instagram and those are more kind of tips and how to reach me and stuff like that and then we love to ask everyone who comes on the show for the, uh, their one favorite thing which for normally we say like whatever the one thing you're telling all your girlfriends about that you can't live without but for you i kind of want to challenge you what's what's like one book that all parents sh- should read that just would get them more comfortable with <laughs> Tackling parenting because yeah. it's you know this is such an expertise for you. God, that's so hard because I hate 
um, the idea that any parent should feel like they have to read a book. Um, but I but I do think there are some really wonderful ones. So, oh, gosh. I mean, I think a, a Dan Siegel book would probably be um, one of my top favorites, like the the whole brain child mm-hmm. or the yes brain because it kind of you know is both practical and philosophically really interesting and not too sciencey but but then I think like if you have a new baby and you're having sleep issues I'd say nothing else matters so read Weissbluth um who's I don't even remember the name of the book but google Weissbluth and healthy child ha- healthy sleep happy child something like that and um, I think all of the the small books with Brazelton and Josh Sparrow that are just, um, you know, by topic and by touch points are beautiful. So I'm not giving you a good one. I'll answer. take all of them. I no, feel like I have a lot. These are all good. And what's your favorite thing? Oh, I, you guys, ta- I knew that this is a question. And I was thinking, what is my favorite thing? And I couldn't think of anything other than to say, um, if you buy a sound machine, (laughs) that is an incredibly useful item Mm. when you have children, especially if you live in an apartment. We have many, many, many. Yeah, I'm sure you, I certainly hope so. We have a fan and a a sound machine. Oh, and then the air purifier too, that makes a nice like whirring sound. Yeah, anything that just makes everything just a little bit. Peaceful. Mm Mm-hmm. So the two the two websites that people can find resources from you if they are not able to have this wonderful one on one session yes, two on one session that we've had there are videos and tip sheets and things like that on both Mount Sinai Parenting Center dot org and Seedlings Group dot org dot com dot com okay perfect thank you for having thank me you. this is a I am just riding on cloud nine right now. I loved our conversation with Aliza. She is, she's everything I hoped she was going to be. She's a mom first and foremost. So like you were saying at the beginning, she gets that no advice is helpful if it's not practical. If Mm -hmm. you don't give it to me in a way that I can actually use with my actual child who is not a robot and, and I can't remember to do it or think about it or it's impractical, it will never happen. And I just, I loved so much of her advice. I was joking that I wanted tattoos of some of her slogans, but like lizard to wizard was one thing that will never leave my brain now. And it is such a great way to think about interacting with any human. We all have that fight or flight or freeze, re, you know, reflex, um, that is our lizard brain. And then we all have our prefrontal cortex that we know how to harness better as adults and as kids to help them learn how to override that impulse brain and learn how to think through the problems they're confronting and do it in a way that's age appropriate is just so helpful when you're raising one child, multiple kids, dealing with the daily insecurities of their lives and also just the daily social dynamics of their lives. Um, you know, places for kids to feel anxiety and stress that 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 her therapies just seem so spot on for confronting. And I am um, and I just, I'm only sad that we could only keep her for like 90 minutes. <laughs> She's amazing. No, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to go home and, and try some of her techniques. I feel like it's, you know, being in the mom space, as, as Daphne and I have been for you know the past six years or so, um, you, a lot of people will say, well, that doesn't relate to me because I'm in a different phase or that doesn't relate to this person because whatever. And I think what... I've realized by doing um, mom brain now for you know uh, going on going through two seasons is that it with so much stuff is not just for a two-year-old and a three-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 50-year-old but these are really themes that we can learn from at every single age and that was one of the amazing things that Aliza gave to us is all of these tools that we can apply to so many different people and ourselves in our lives and I just I just feel um I feel like it really like connects all of us yeah I'm sorry no you're feeling connected and and also (laughs) low blood sugar and now it's time for our favorite things it's time for our favorite things. Oh, yeah. All right, so my favorite thing is actually origami paper. My kids are obsessed with folding and being creative. And with Carmen, it's like it depends on the child. Like we're doing 
anything from like paper airplanes to like abstract art with the younger ones. Um, and with Carmen, she's actually like learning how to make a box and I'm teaching her how to make a paper crane and stuff like that. But I feel like it's very therapeutic. And as we're d- helping our children deal with different anxieties and stuff like that, um, and then also having activities that are not, let me sit in front of the TV or an iPad or something mm-hmm. like that. But I, um, I found that this is really fun. It's something that I did when I was a little kid. I grew up with no TV, so I did a lot of crafty, handsy things. You would think I'd be a better artist, but I'm not. Um, but I can do some mean origamis. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, I mean, origami paper is super inexpensive. Um, the, uh, we'll link to a particular one on, on Amazon. They have like these double-sided ones, so then when you make it, like a pop of like the color comes through. Um, and it's a fun thing that you can do with your kids, and it's just kind of like this activity that you can be focusing on and chatting about something else. I love that. I th- look, I think easy things like that that you keep around – even just the 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 repetitive practice of it it's so soothing i love oh, that okay so my favorite thing this week is actually a crafting item it's the omi signature ultra washable felt pens um we get the box that comes in bright colors it's a box of 16 and so I buy these specific mark- markers and then I, I buy a bunch of five by seven blank, um, you know, either cardstock or just uh, what's it called when the note, note cards, what's it called when it's a lined note card that you used to make flashcards on whatever. Basically, I buy a small box of small paper and this has become our family's best at asset whether we're traveling or out to eat or in the car or whatever I have this this like perfectly portable little coloring station for the kids because um because these markers are so identifiable as themselves and they come in a little box, my kids are actually really good at keeping them orderly. Something that I found more and more is I'm trying to get rid of the excess stuff because when you give them like a box, a huge box of crayons or a huge box of markers or they're all jumbled together, like there's no there's no responsibility around them. You can leave the caps off. You can lose them. You don't remember how many you took out in the first place with this little box of 16 they know exactly how many they, that were there in the beginning and exactly how many have to go back. There's a fat tip end and a narrow tip end so that my my son especially is really into writing his letters right now. So he uses one side for coloring in and one side for writing his letters. And the most critical thing is they're ultra, ultra washable. So even though my, you know, I've had Nika put them in her mouth, I've had them color on my clothing, I've had them on the chairs, I mean, all over the place. This ink does not stain so far as I can tell. And we've had really, you know, very good success getting it out of anything that it's gotten onto. Um, so anyway, in terms of teaching, in terms of making my life easier when I know we're going to be having needing the kids to sit still for a while and I don't want to just always have them turn to a screen, um, even though sometimes that is necessary. Uh, this is this is like a little easy crafty type thing that I can keep in my purse. And I have a bunch of the different boxes of the of the markers. So I have them in different bags and things. And um, and the kids are also learning to be responsible for their, you know, the items that they have and um, and being able to preserve, uh, being able to make sure that they get to have them to use for a long time. So I thought you guys would like to know. And they are kind of pricey. They're they're like $17 for a box of markers. I know sounds insane when you can get, you know, Crayolas for way less. But again, what I my I go back to the multifunctionality of it and the fact that it's a limited special set that they know they have to take care of actually has been has provided even more benefit um than just like, you know. But you can do it a million different ways. You can also just bundle like eight crayons together. It's one of those things where like the finiteness of it actually makes a difference for the kids. And again, having them be ultra washable is honestly the only thing I really care about. (laughs) And guys, don't forget, we always link these exact products in the description of the podcast. So you don't need to go hunting around for what we're talking about. We make it very easy for you there if you want to check them out. If you guys have follow-up questions from the conversation or things that were really helpful to you in application, let us know. We obviously love hearing from you guys. We are mombrainpod at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, um, please don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to us. We are on Instagram for you and on YouTube. You can reach us anywhere. And um, most importantly, we'll see you back here next week. Bye. See you later. Ciao. This is Mombrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.